Here we are, another Locked On NFL. Brian Peacock, your co-host alongside the scout, Matt Williamson, taking you around the league daily here on the Locked On Podcast Network. It is a Tuesday, which means it is a Twitter Tuesday. We've got some questions from you all on Twitter, and we're going to get to a ton of stuff here. I think I want to start with Josh Gordon. I got asked multiple times about Josh Gordon, and Matt, you wrote an article recently about Josh Gordon, so I think that's a great place to start. And by the way, how are you? Ready for some uh, uh, some games to start mattering a little bit more here? Yeah, I'm certainly ready for that. Uh, week three will be fun, though. I'm looking forward to that. We'll see some dudes that haven't played yet. Um, I did write an article about Gordon, and um, I think it's good news for them, first of all. I mean, I think that big picture, Gronk wasn't what he used to be last year, but him not being there means they have to change how they play football. And I expect a, a lot of fullback still, a lot of running, um, good line. Brady obviously orchestrating it all expertly. But I also think that they're going to spread the field with more receivers than usual. And that, that might be Jacoby Myers in the slot, Edelman in the slot, Dorsett out wide, Nikhil Harry could be in any of the above, and Gordon out wide. So I, I think Nikhil Harry might be – closer to Aaron Hernandez than he is Randy Moss in terms of how they use him. But Gordon is a lot more Randy Moss. I think he'll be the outside the numbers downfield threat. Who knows what you're getting? You know, I mean, it's kind of like Le'Veon Bell. You don't play for that long. When you what kind of player are you at this stage? But in terms of gifts, I mean, he's right there with uh, Julio Jones in terms of most gifted receivers in the league. He's familiar with Brady, and they could use one more guy for sure. That's interesting about, well, two things. The the two young receivers there and how they'll be utilized. And we haven't really talked about Jacoby Myers, who's having a really good preseason mm-hmm. for the Patriots. And uh, there's you know potential for him to even be a bigger part of the offense, maybe, than the first-rounder, Nikhil Harry. And how you use Nikhil Harry will be interesting. And he was used in a certain way at Arizona State, and he's not a guy who gets wide open. He's not a guy who can blaze, but he's tough, and he's good at the catch point. And so maybe you you would think he'd be good outside, but then maybe you want to have him in the slot so you can scheme him open more and then let him use his natural traits uh, once he's you know once he's freed there and has some room to operate, so that'll be interesting to see how they work him in. And you know, generally rookies don't have a huge impact on the Patriots and wide receivers. It takes time anyway around the league, but. I think if I'm talking from a fantasy perspective, I might even take Myers over Nikhil Harry right now. Yeah, I think that I think Myers' game as a slot, good um, route runner, great hands, translates quicker to this scheme than Harry because Harry, he's really good after the catch. You described him well. He's a big contested catch guy. I think they want to get him. I think there might be some Cordero Patterson in this game, too. You know, just get him the bubble screen and see what he can do. Um, I think that he'll be used out of the slot, like an Aaron hernandez Cordero Patterson combination. But I think he's very much a work in progress, especially learning the offense. I'm not expecting a lot from him in his rookie year, but I do think he has value near the goal line, um, as does Josh Gordon, though, for sure. What do you expect from Gordon? If you were to throw down if a gun to your head, you were trying to project Ooh. numbers for Josh Gordon, do you think you'll see anything approaching what his talent level has been in the past? What kind of a, a, a weapon is he going to be at this point in his career with Tom Brady? I mean, he's only really had one 
monster season and he was gigantic that year and every other year has been littered with suspensions and I don't think he moves like he used to. I mean, I think he'll play atop their depth chart, um, but what kind of shape is he in? And I'm not saying he's lazy or anything like that. It's just, you know, it's late in the process to join a team. Is it week one? Is he going to run 50, 60 routes? I bet not. So I'm saying 850 yards, five or six touchdowns, something like that. Yeah, which is not bad. And if you're the number no. one receiver for a Tom Brady offense, that can definitely be a very good thing. And it's funny because he was reinstated the day before I had a draft on, I think it was Saturday I had my last draft. And he went very high in our draft. And I was really? thinking, man, uh, you know, I think maybe getting teased a little bit by who he has been and the talent level there. And I'm not saying he couldn't go huge, but I would say maybe people get maybe might get a little too excited for Josh Gordon thinks they're getting, you know, 2012 Josh Gordon when you're getting a different guy who, and you talk about him being in shape. This guy rolls out of bed in ridiculous shape. Like I, I don't know what deal you have to make with, uh, with the devil or the gods or whoever to get that kind of physical ability, but it's crazy. He's just, he's, he's a freak of nature, a true freak. He really is. I mean, in a league full of freaks, he stands out. I mean, yes. size, speed, galore on those things, but still able to change direction. I mean, he's um, what could have been, you know, really. And, and who knows? He may lead the league in receiving this year, too. That's not off the table. Right. Yeah, that's that is definitely still a possibility. And I'm definitely not yeah. going to uh, say he I'm, I'm not going to put a limit on what Josh Gordon could do. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I would sort of tippy toe into where he's going to get drafted. Now, some people might be super excited about his. Um, I mean, just like just to get 16 games out of him at this point would be would be kind of wild. And it would be fun to see. I hope yeah. it happens. I, I do, too. I mean, I'm rooting for him. I'm glad that he's finally getting a second, third, fourth chance, whatever. Um, and I, I think my fans know this, too. I mean, my stance on abusing alcohol or drugs or whatever is a heck of a lot more lenient than Ray Rice or Kareem Hunt or mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah, like, absolutely. yeah, they deserve all the chances in the world to me. I got an interesting question here from Sully, who's my guy who frequently tweets into the Locked On 49ers show. And this is a good question. He says, who do you like better from a fantasy perspective and long-term star potential, Josh Jacobs or David Montgomery? A couple of rookie running backs there. It's funny. Um, Matthew Barry is, he's like on the podcast circuit right now. I've heard him everywhere on all these different circuits. And actually, I should probably call him, see if he wants to join in <laughs> yeah. on ours. He's a good dude. Um, and he has me sold. He has Jacobs extremely high in his 150. Like, I want to say like 14th, 15th overall, like early second round type area. And he has me sold. I thought I was super high on him taking him like at the 2-3 turn for fantasy. But he has him taking him like at the 1-2 turn. And wow. I might be on board with that as well. And I think he's... Clearly more talented than Montgomery. I mean, he got drafted two rounds ahead of him. He's only first round back. Um, a much better receiver, much better tools. Um, but in terms of just numbers, you look at Gruden's history with running backs, and they've just basically flat out said it. I mean, when they drafted him, like, he better get ready for a huge workload. Remember what he did with, like, Cadillac Williams in Tampa? Yeah. He's going to get a ton of touches, but more in the receiving game. Um, I don't have it in front of me, but um, – What's his face? The, the, they're they're Jalen Rashard. Their running backs last year caught a lot of passes that aren't going to go to Washington or Rashard. They're going to go to Jacobs. I mean, he 
he, we might be talking about him as a consensus for, you know, first round pick a year from now. So he's clearly the choice to me. And that's not a knock at all on Montgomery. I think Montgomery is a very good prospect, fun to watch, extremely hard to get on the ground, rare contact balance, a much better receiver than Jordan Howard. Um, I mean, he may win rookie of the year as well. I mean, I think he can rack up a lot of yards. But the choice is Jacobs for me, and it's not really close because I'm just that high on Jacobs. Yeah, and I know you're high on Jacobs, and I had a feeling that would be your answer pretty easily. And the thing about Jacobs versus Montgomery is Montgomery is when you're talking about fantasy football, Montgomery's a little bit capped because of Tariq Cohen's going to be getting you know mm-hmm. most of the work uh, as the pass catcher out of the backfield there. And uh, I've I've heard the comp for David Montgomery with Kareem Hunt, and I kind of like that. And I do like David Montgomery for talking real football. And you're talking about building a roster and where you're drafting these guys. I would take Montgomery where you have to draft him rather than uh, taking make, making Josh Jacobs a first round pick because I think you're fine with a guy like Montgomery who's very talented yeah. as your running back. But we're talking about fantasy, like you said, huge workload, a guy that I wouldn't be shocked at all to see him going in the first round of drafts next year. And if you're Matthew Barry, apparently taking him on the turn right now in first and second round, which is which is saying something. Yeah, it really is. I mean, it's, it's high praise from somebody that knows their stuff. Um, yeah, I'm with you. I mean, Montgomery could go to the Pro Bowl this year. I'm like, I think there's Pro Bowls in his future. Like, he's a really good player, but uh, Jacobs is just better. And it's it's not really a fair question to Montgomery. And I think he's going to be a very Trubisky-friendly addition. You know, I mean, dump it to him. Times get tough, dump it to him. Lean on him in the run game. I think he'll make Trubisky's life a lot easier. Totally agree. All right, let's take a quick break here. We got a whole bunch more Twitter Tuesday questions to get to. All right, this is a good time to tell the fellas out there about Blue Chew. Guys, do you remember when you were always ready to go? Now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up, bluechew.com. That's blue, like the color blue. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach, and since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever the opportunity arises. Now, this isn't just for guys who can't perform. It's for any guy who wants extra function to enhance their performance in the bedroom. For instance, most guys talk a good game, but if you're one and done, Blue Chew can even help you follow through for round two. Blue Chew is prescribed online and ships straight to your door in a discreet package, So no in-person doctor's visit, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. And they're made right in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code Locked On. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-C-H-E-W.com, BlueChew.com, promo code locked on to try it free. BlueChew is the cheaper, better, faster choice. BlueChew.com, promo code locked on. We thank them for sponsoring this podcast. Rich has a couple of questions here, and I actually like both of them. So uh, let's start with the Matt Stafford question. His, <laughs> simply, he says, is Matt Stafford good? Or can you see the Lions <laughs> looking to move on in the near future? And I, I'll start with this by saying, there at some point, there's got to be some frustration with Lions fans. And I've talked about the Cincinnati Bengals, and I think this is a better situation than the Bengals with Stafford. But the Bengals with 
you know, it's like, let, let's just let's just break this thing down and start over and let's move on from Andy Dalton. And because it's, it has we're not going to win this way. Right. And let's let's just make it look different. And with Matthew Stafford, there's a little bit higher ceiling there, but I, I'm almost in the same sort of mindset there with the Lions is like, OK, this is cool. It's a good run. You know, I like Matthew Stafford. Maybe you could trade him. Maybe a, a team that that really needs a quarterback and and that would expedite your rebuild and let's 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 get moving on and see if we can find a different guy and maybe hit a home run with somebody else. That's that's where I would be, but I, it's probably not easy to just move on from a guy like Matthew Stafford. Yeah, I think that's well said and you're kind of getting into that territory with Stafford like the Bengals would I know you you agree with me here, but the Bengals would give you Dalton for Stafford in a heartbeat. I mean, of course. I mean, he's a better player than that. But he's a little disappointing in that, boy, he is so talented and he should be a top 10 quarterback year after year. I mean, he should be in that conversation, a tier two guy, as Sando likes to say. And I think he's kind of a tier three guy. And after a while, you start to look at him and say, how far can you take us? We've seen a lot of each other. There's a time that we, you know, mutually break up. And I I don't know this for a fact. But two really good sources this offseason when we were at the Combine said the Lions are kind of feeling the same. You know, it's a new coach that this might be more of a pivotal year for Stafford than people realize and that they might trade him to Tennessee, you know what I mean, or send him somewhere and, and there would be a market for him for sure. But I want more out of the guy. I like him. Um, he hasn't his surroundings haven't been optimal, but that applies to a lot of dudes. I mean, they haven't had a running game since the eighth grade picnic. And, but I also think, Hey, you gotta be the guy. And if I was a lions fan, I would be in his corner, but I would also be, if you're making me an offer, I'll listen. That makes total sense. And I think that's the smart way to do it. And for, for teams, sometimes it's a lot more difficult to move on, but when you were talking there, I was thinking, yeah, it's like you're you're dating for a long time. It's like put the ring on the finger. Are we going to go all the way or should we start seeing other people? And I would say right. let's start and, seeing other people there. Right. And there's nothing wrong with that. Right. You know, you make the right decision and maybe he goes somewhere else and he's Brady's successor and tears it up. Or you know what I mean? Like there's mm-hmm. a lot of things he could change the scenery might do him a ton of good, too. And I always bring it up with Stafford. and I hate to, but. I, I always think about his wife. I mean, that this year, it, it is a pivotal time, but football can't be number one on his list right now. You know, I mean, it's it's rough, man, when, when the world world gets in the way of all of us needing a, a good quarterback. Absolutely, 100% there. Uh, Miko Hardman, does he see the field for Kansas City with Hill, Hill being available now, or does he just make it possible for the Chiefs to move on from Hill later? I want to take this a step further. I have two very bold predictions, and people listening to me don't know that I'm not a hot take guy just okay, to get attention. I like it. But I think Hardman and Darwin Thompson are going to be starters. I think Thompson's going to be the best Kansas City running back this year. Fantasy Nugget, if you can get him late, grab him. I think he's going to be Brian Westbrook. I think he's going to be Andy Reid's do-it-all guy. Go past Hyde, go past Williams, and he's stout. He's good in protection. I was watching him live here in Pittsburgh this week. He only played like five or six snaps, and I think the reason for that is we know who he is. We don't need the world to know who he is, but he stoned a blitzer, and that was one of the questions I didn't know about him. 
He's stout. I think there's a lot of Brian Westbrook in that guy. And I'm kind of done with Sammy Watkins. I've been defending him too long. My <laughs> second hot take is I think Miko Hardman passes him on the depth chart. And we know why Hardman's a chief. You know, come draft time, they didn't know Tyreek's future for this year. So they went out and got as close to a clone as you can. And I mentioned the game I was at. They used him in jet motion and stuff, just like they did Tyreek. And if Tyreek would go down, he would fill that void. But I'm sitting here thinking, if I'm Andy Reid, and I can get a more dynamic back that like I just mentioned, and with all respect to Sammy, if I can get another Tyreek Hill on the field, Sammy, you can sit down, buddy. You know, yeah. and they've paid him so much. He's fine. But he's pro- he could easily be a cap casualty after the year. I mean, he's so much invested in the dude. Or teach Sammy to play the slot more. I mean, I just think of what Mahomes, how scary would the Chiefs be with two absolute burners on the outside? Like, how do you account for Kelsey and Mahomes and if those two are so frightening? Yeah, that would be a lot of fun. And when you're looking at it from a fantasy perspective, I know you and I have talked about uh, Dante Moncrief with the Steelers and how I'm I'm all the way out and I just can't go down that road again and I just can't draft him no matter how good of a deal it is. I'm I'm kind of that way with Sammy Watkins too and I love the talent coming out and he's he's put some of it together but you know not able to stay healthy and if you have someone who's cheap that you think could be dynamic in that offense, I'm totally with you. Let let's go, let's move on and and maybe and it sounds like with every team we bring up, I'm always so willing to move on and go to the next guy. Maybe that's a flaw on my part, but let's go. <laughs> let's let's keep it moving, man. Yeah, what's that say about you? All right, enough of you. Move on. Exactly. You're going to be getting something else from me here in a week. I have issues with commitment. <laughs> no, but Harbin's scary. I mean, just I just keep thinking about him and all the motion they could do pre-snap, and Andy Reid can just devise craziness with that much speed on the perimeter. Ooh, I like the sound of that. Let's move along to Jamie, who asks, with their offseason additions up front and a hopefully maturing secondary, what are the odds the Packers' defense cracking the top 10 this year? I would vote above 50% that they're going to be a top 10 defense. I don't know if you agree with me. And I was, first of all, I was really shocked, and I haven't heard of a good reason why Mike Daniels was let go, because then the Lions just scooped him right up after playing against him twice last year. I didn't see that coming, but when I said... He was still part of the team when I said repeatedly, I thought the Packers are the most improved defense this offseason after adding Savage, the two Smiths, Gary, a lot more options. I think that young secondary starts to come together. Um, I'm going to give it about a 50% chance that it's a top 10 defense. Top 10 is is high, but I love what they're doing on the defense side of the ball. Like you mentioned, the secondary and I don't even know what they're going to get from Kevin King, but just Jair Alexander, the addition of Savage, who I loved in the draft. Yeah, yeah. Um, that that team could, and really the offense could help that defense be that good too because, you know, Aaron Jones being used properly, it seemed like uh, he, he wasn't going to get a fair shake with the old regime. So if Rodgers keeps the ball moving, Aaron Jones on the ground, I like what they, I've talked about what I liked what they did with the three late round wide receivers last year. I'm really looking for a big year from MVS. You've got Devontae Adams already. So keep the chains moving on offense, and that'll help out the defense. And I think those things can work together. And uh, I, I do expect the Packers to make some serious noise this year. Yeah, I, I do too. Cautiously optimistic, but I think their pass rush will be really good. Um, you know, it seemed a little repetitive to take Rashawn Gary in the first round after signing both the Smiths. 
But my thoughts are all that matters is passing downs. You know, I mean, that's not all that matters, but it's obviously passing downs are, are very important. And I bet they kick Gary inside next to Clark, who's a really good player that people don't realize, and then have the two Smiths come off the edge. Or Zadarius could kick inside too. He did a lot of that with the Ravens. So there, there's more position flexibility. It's not like they're all just stand-up edge guys and they're not going to you know, find spots to put them on the line. Yeah, Gary reminds me a little bit of a 49er in Solomon Thomas where they need to figure yeah. out who he is early and don't don't try him to be don't try to make him into just an every down defensive end and then realize, oh, okay, well now we gotta try him inside. Now he's inside. Oh now we don't know. Like move him inside on passing downs, let him play the run from the outside, utilize his strengths and do that from day one and then let him develop in that role and and own that. And I think that's the best way to do it with Rashawn Gary. But not as high on Rashawn Gary as maybe some of the other pieces. Just I, I didn't love him I'm coming out either. of the draft. But, no. you know, he has the physical ability where if it if he could turn it on and be like, okay, yep, that's that's where that talent is going to take you. So I could see that happening too. But utilize him correctly and don't try to force him into something he's not. One last note on Gary is, I mean, I could see why he would be the top recruit in the country. I mean, and I think that's what he was coming out of high school. Yes. But, and the production's not close to that. But there's two things I just want to throw out there. There's a lot of time when you watched him at Michigan, he was asked to eat up blocks and free up Bush or Winovich or any of those type of guys. So everyone game planned around him. Fine. But still, if you're a superstar, you need to make more plays. And I do think he went to a good scheme. That defensive scheme now in Green Bay is a lot less um, static or job-oriented. It's a little more just play with your hair on fire and get in the backfield and make plays. And if you, if you blow an assignment and we don't care, you know what I mean? Like it's just, it's a little more aggressive that way, or as opposed to reading on the way, make a mistake on the way to the passer. Agree. 100%. Let's take another quick break here. We've got some more questions queued up on our Twitter Tuesday. Let's talk Atlanta Falcons here. Our guy Mantis on Twitter asks, what is your honest expectations for this Falcons defense being coached by Dan Quinn, highs or lows? Um, it, It's a little bit of a cop-out, but it's absolutely true that injuries destroyed this group last year. You know, but it was bad. I mean, and let's remember what the Falcons are. I mean, this is a Pete Carroll Seahawks defense, and Deion Jones is their Bobby Wagner. And Boy, where would the Seahawks be without Wagner? You know what I mean? So uh, that being said, though, I worry a little bit about the Seahawks cover three defenses because people know how to beat them now. They're not new. There's too many. They're very static on where they are. It's not very unpredictable. You know, the corners line up left, right. And so I can motion Julio Jones to the corner I want to attack him with, you know, like, it's not very versatile. It's not very malleable in terms of just scheme. And they have to have that Seahawks-like pass rush. You know, I mean, you need Bennett and Averill and all those guys. And their edge guys aren't that. Vic Beasley is like the most overrated player in the league. Grady Jarrett's a really good one. And the whole defense is built for speed in the dome. But I think if they get – if you break them into thirds, you know, we talked about can the – I think they're probably lucky to get in that middle third. They probably would be in my lower third of the 32 defenses. You bring up an interesting point there about that cover three defense. And 
49ers fans are asking that question right now, too. And the bet, 49ers yeah. D is, is looking to make a big jump this year. I think that pass rush, the outside pass rush, particularly, is, is going to be a big thing for them this year. But fans are asking, okay, was the Legion of Boom, was this whole defense amazing because they had amazing players and it didn't matter what scheme you were playing? And they could get after the quarterback. They could stop the run. You have Bobby Wagner. You had three elite players in the secondary. And so if you if you have all of those things, it's like, well, who cares what you run? You know, and if you put, put that collection of talent in any scheme, it's going to be a good defense. Right. So that's right. where and and Kyle Shanahan's like, well, I wanted to bring this scheme in because I know it was so hard to play against. It was like, was it hard to get hard to play against the Seahawks because they were good because their players were good because the scheme was great. And now as more and more teams face that scheme and it's around the league, more often people know how to attack it and maybe your talent's not up to snuff, then I could see where being married to that scheme might not be the greatest situation for a defense. But at the same time, that kind of goes with any scheme, get the best players and then run a sound scheme. Just be sound is kind of the key that that's what I'd be looking for on defense. If I was, uh, if I was an owner or a head coach and I was a, I was hiring my defensive coordinator I would want a guy who's proven that he can coach his players to play sound, and then I would try to give him the talent to help that defense flourish. Yeah, I agree with you. And, you know, I think it's a problem that your safeties aren't interchangeable, that your corners are always left-right. You know, I can get an emotion, like I said, and attack the people I want to attack. And they had great players that would probably have been good in any scheme. But one thing I loved about the Seahawks defensive scheme and it's real nerdy scout talk is, you know, like it's not, they could use anybody. Like if they had, some teams don't want a single high free safety. Some teams don't want an in the box safety. Oh, we can use that. We can use that. Some guy, they, they have a three technique. They have a nose tackle. They have everything in between, like all shapes and sizes as you go from a 330 pound nose tackle to you know, every step of the way down, all the way to the corner position, there was a spot on the defense for them. You know, like hate to keep bringing up the Steelers, but the Steelers were a three-four team growing up, and now it's changed a lot. But they wouldn't have drafted Warren Sapp. You know, the Tampa Bay Bucks wouldn't have wanted Aaron Smith. You know, or Casey Hampton. You know, where the Bucks will take all of them, or, or I'm sorry, the Seahawks will take all those guys. They have a spot in their lineup for all of them. That's a great point. And I was actually, when you were talking, I was going to bring up the Steelers because I thought about the same things. When you're the only team in the league running a 3-4 and you can have those hybrid outside linebackers that are too small for other teams to play defensive end or, you know, people aren't looking for the the, the zero technique right on the center, 350-pound nose tackle, that you can get some value in those players or the tall defensive ends. And then when that starts to, you know, get popular around the league, those players start to be a little bit more expensive. They're harder to get, harder to find in the draft. And we're seeing that now with with taller corners and we're seeing that now with with things that happen in the in in the in the cover 3 because and first of all it's that safety and I think Earl Thomas is probably the biggest piece of that because he's a freak and when you when you can have a player in center field that can erase both sidelines and come up and play the run, that's an insanely valuable thing to have and if you don't have that to start with then I think it gets increasingly more difficult to run that cover three really well. Yeah, and two things there is, you know, the Steelers get Joey Porter, Jason Gilden. I mean, there's so many of those Clark Hagans. I mean, I could give you five, six names that are third, fourth, fifth round picks that if they come out of school now are first rounders. But there was only 
three teams running a pure three four back then. They did. They looked at those guys like they were tweeners. They're, they're not linebackers. They're not big enough to stop the run. So they benefited a great deal from that. And um, back to Earl Thomas, Wagner's the one that has stood the test of time and probably was more valuable even back then than any of us realize. But I think my MVP of the Legion of Boom was Thomas because I always called him a great eraser, you know, like an eraser on the end of your pencil. When any of those 10 dudes screwed up in front of him, he erased that problem, you know, and he got them all lined up. He allowed those 10 to be ultra aggressive because Earl's behind me. No, that's a great point. That is well said. And, and I'm with you 100% on that. We have uh, very little time left. Let's get to a couple more if we can. Footsteps wants to know about the Derwin James injury and how much damage it really does to that Chargers talented defense. Oh, I think it's, I mean, he's a great, great player. Breaks my heart, but at least it's early in the process. Maybe he'll be back by December, playoff time, whatever. Um, and I think they're more equipped now. I mean, that's a huge loss for anybody. I mean, he's a superstar. But the combination of Thomas Davis and the Seer Adderley being added this offseason, they're not the same player, and Derwin's like right in between those two in terms of styles. I think makes it a little more palatable. But, man, I mean, there's bad mojo coming out of the Charger land right now. Akun, Allen, Gordon, and Derwin. I mean, those are big things to overcome in middle August. Yeah, it's rough to be going through that even before the season begins. One more quick one from Ray. Who's your top rookie wide receiver this year in the NFL that's going to put up the best production? I would have said DK Metcalf because I love DK coming out, and then I loved the fit. The injury stuff's starting to get very worrisome, even though they still are hoping he's going to be back at least early in the season, maybe still even week one, but the latest knee injury makes me sort of uh, get a little bit worried about DK Metcalf there, even though I love his talent, and I love the fit. Do you have a name that really jumps out to you as the guy who would be Ooh. the number one rookie wide receiver this year? It's not a great class, and supposedly next year is supposed to be awesome, by the way. Um, it wouldn't be Harry. I don't think it would be Metcalf. I don't think it would be your boy Debo. Um, Marquise Brown is, when's he ever going to get on the field? He was the first one taken. A.J. Brown's one of my absolute favorites, but, I mean, what kind of production is he going to get in that offense? And I think he's ideally a slot, and that's Humphrey's job. I don't know. Who am I missing? I mean, Michael Hardman, maybe? I mean, I went on that limb earlier. Um, I might vote. There's a lot. I might vote. Go ahead. And we'll see. And actually, we're recording this. The 49ers, the Monday night game is about to get started. So we'll talk about that yeah. one tomorrow. And I have a feeling we're going to see Debo play a little bit earlier in this game. And we'll see if he runs with the Jimmy Garoppolo group, and I don't expect Garoppolo to play a ton, but it's going to be a really important stepping stone for him to be on the field for the first time. So I might put some money on Debo now, but okay. how about this? If you're talking not the wide receiver position, just receiving yards, I wonder what uh, Hawkinson could do in his rookie season. Yeah, that's not the worst call. I mean, he's going to play every snap. Um, it's not the worst call. It's a tough question. I still think Paris Campbell's very valuable, but isn't going to be on the field every snap either. I'm sitting here looking at the list it's and nobody's so wide really open jumping out at me. Because this rookie class of wide receivers was maybe not top heavy, but it was super deep. So there's a yes. ton of guys in that second, third, even fourth round range that I wouldn't be blown away if they had huge seasons. Agreed. That being said, I'd be shocked if the offensive rookie of the year is a wide out. I agree. I think if you're betting on an offensive rookie of the year, I think Josh Jacobs has the perfect path to being that guy 
for the Raiders. And I think that's where all yeah. of your money should go. And then, uh, you know, Kyler Murray is by far the best, the worst odds. Yes. I mean, he's the favorite. Right. And but he's, I'm with you. I mean, for, for what it would cost, I would put some money on Josh Jacobs. Yep. I'm with you. All right. Let's end on that one, Matt. Always fun. Thank you so much for another Twitter Tuesday. Yeah. And everyone, please remember 99% of the time we are going to record Twitter Tuesday on Monday evening. So we're going to need questions in before, you know, Monday evening, obviously. Right. Yeah. You can, you can reply to the tweet that we put out there or just tag one of us or both of us. I'm at BD Peacock on Twitter. Matt is at Williamson NFL. And we will be back with you guys Wednesday right here. Locked on NFL.